Hey, so uh, our passage today is really long. So just buckle up. That's why I'm going to read it because I didn't want to put that on anybody else. Um, before we get in there, I want to tell you all something that uh, some of you all don't even know. Who, who knows who Randy Drawn is? A lot of people. Who doesn't know who Randy Drawn is? I love that. Okay, good. Randy is the head pastor of Midtown. So this whole movement, um, Randy, is, Randy is our pastor, and he's the congregational pastor of our Granny White congregation. And uh, I know that he loves that. He loves that there are a lot of people now part of Midtown that don't even know who he is. But I want to tell you all something that he said to me that was a great, great gift as, as we were starting to plant this congregation that's now Midtown West. Um, he pulled me aside one day and he said, Matt, I just want you to know something. You're on the team. You're a part of this family. You are, you are in. And so whatever happens with this church plant, even if it just totally fails and bombs, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to come back together and say, how do we learn from this? And then we're going to go plant you somewhere else. I was like, man, what a gift. You know what that does for me? That, that just gives me this freedom to swing for the fences. That gives me this freedom to follow God's leading and not worry about what's going to happen to this and try to start calculating all of my moves to, to try to be successful. Um, and it's really, that's a picture of covenant freedom. Um, Randy and I don't really have a covenant together. That was just a really good gift that he gave me. But um, that is what the, the truth of marriage, that's why marriage is a covenant relationship is because when two people come together and they are sinners and they enter into a, a tight union that is a covenant, um, it is that covenant bond, it is that commitment to stay together even if it's a total bust. Um, that's what gives freedom. That's what gives a freedom to be yourself and to be changed and to be transformed and to let the Lord move in you. That's why we take vows to be members of, of God's body here in this congregation. Um, that's, that's why when we are, are doing, you know, Jesus says that like his body, um, his desire for us is that we are one, like bricks in a building and we are like parts of a body under Jesus as the head. And so part of what is happening here is the, is the coming together in the friction of a bunch of sinners trying to do life together. And that's why we are in this covenant relationship as this family, as this body, because we are gonna hurt each other's feelings. We are going to sin against each other. And when that happens, what do we do? Um, we're in freedom. And I was having a, a meeting with somebody in the last few weeks and they were talking about their fears. And they said, uh, what if, what if I find out that I'm as uh, terrible as I think I might be and then I'm gonna have to leave this body? Do any of y'all think like that? What if everybody finds out that I am my worst nightmare and then I'm gonna have to leave? And it was, it was such a beautiful gift for me to get to look them in the eye and say, you know what, even if the worst case scenario is true, you don't have to leave. There's good news. <laughs> the good news is you get to stay because you're in and we're in together and, and we believe that God's doing something here. And so that's the power of this covenant relationship is you can actually be honest and being honest is what allows you to unearth and live in reality and see what's really there and to let God meet you in reality and change you and transform you in the real the real power of the Holy Spirit changing the real you and the real me. And so it is always, um, it is this 
power of covenant that allows us to flourish and allows us to grow and allows us to be transformed. Um, and that's what we're talking about today is, is God's people um, confessing their sin in the context of this covenant relationship that they have with God. And so we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 9. And you know what, guys? We're going to read the whole chapter. And uh, kind of two-for-one special here, as I read this chapter, instead of putting the text on the screen, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to line up this prayer of confession is basically a history of the Old Testament up to this point. So if you're somebody who's like, I'm so confused um, by the Old Testament, I don't know the story of Scripture, I don't know how all these seemingly random places in Scripture fit together, Um, This isn't going to answer all your questions, but this is a great overview of the Old Testament. So you can see kind of the books of scripture that are being referenced here through this prayer. Um, But I'm going to pray and then I'm going to read this for us. Father, we, uh, we are your people and we are always in need of confessing our sins. Um, And that is uh, never for condemnation. Uh, We, we are never, you never bring us into um, you never bump us up against our sins to bring us into condemnation, Lord. You, you do that to free us um, so that we can confess our sins and our weaknesses to you so that you can bring healing, so that you can bring transformation, so that you can bring new life where there was only death, freedom where there was slavery. So, Father, I pray that you would use um, your powerful word in our lives today, that you would quicken our hearts and our minds and our ears and our eyes to see you and hear you and respond to you, Lord, you'd give us a love for you that maybe we didn't have when we came in this morning. Lord, that you would melt our cold, stony hearts. Lord, that you would uh, do away with all all hardness toward you, that you would do away with all uh, fear of you that is not healthy, that is not from you. Lord, that you would clear the deck um, so that we would be ready to receive from you what you have for us today and that we would not be unchanged. And ask that in Jesus' name, amen. It says, now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. The Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood, I'm gonna skip over this, these Levites, Um, And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And then other Levites said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. So here's the prayer of confession. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them. The host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abraham, Abram, and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers, and you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. 
and you divided the sea before them so that they went through in the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud, you led them in the day and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments that you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you up out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies, you in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities in a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Therefore, you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you warned them in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, 
who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them. And in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. The word of the Lord. And I need to rest now. Um, Something I want to say from last week. uh, You know, last week we talked a lot about uh, moving our body in worship and responding vocally in worship. And we talked about how amen means that right there is truth, and I'm thankful that that's truth. So um, keep that coming. Uh, would love to hear some amens. And, uh, and also when we're, when we're singing and worshiping, um, keep moving your body. Keep doing the things that we, uh, we practiced last week and just know that we are embodied souls, and it's good to do that. Um, okay, so getting back to our, our text here, really we're talking about, um, again, the safety the, the way that we thrive and flourish um, through confession of sin in the context of a covenant. And so first, in these first few verses before they get into this prayer, um, we need to see that confession of sin is normative and healing for God's people, okay? Confession of sin is always normative and it's always healing for God's people. So this, this little section that we skipped between last week and this week uh, was a celebration of Feast of Booths. Uh, another way that they refer to that is a Feast of Tabernacles. And that was this, um, it's the last of the fall festivals, so kind of appropriate we're talking about that today. Um, and it's one of the most joyous festivals that, the, that these people had um, because this was a celebration of the bringing in of the harvest of the olives and the grapes. And so this was just a, a, a really beautiful fun, joyous time of celebrating abundance and celebrating God's goodness. And so it's a time to thank God for all of his provision over the last year. So in this particular case, um, this would be a big year for that because the, remember the people had come back and rebuilt the city and the wall is now rebuilt and people are um, reestablishing Jerusalem as the place where God meets with his people. And so this would be a particularly um, celebratory year um, for this festival. And they remember that the Lord supernaturally sustained them in the wilderness. We talked about in the passage those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness where he supernaturally sustained them. Their clothes didn't wear out. Their feet didn't swell. They had everything that they needed for this wilderness journey. And so part of how they would celebrate this is they would actually make booths or tents and sleep in those tents for, for that week so that um, they would remember what it was like. So it would be like if we just put up tents in our backyard to remember um, the humble beginnings of where we came from. And so that's what's happening here. Um, And I want us to see this, that um, this is a celebration and a recognition of God is a God who is beyond faithful. Um, Every promise he's made, he's kept. Plus, 
Um, every time that the people have been wicked and faithless, he has remained faithful. His love has remained steadfast. And so this is a celebration of God's faithfulness. And now we have to ask, okay, what about us? If God is always faithful and he is perfectly faithful, um, let's take a hard look at ourselves and see what we're like. And so that is why um, we are now, the, the people of God are now in this time of corporate confession, but it's on the heels of this feasting and this celebration. And the order is really important because the feasting and celebration is not because God's people confess their sin. It's not because God, God's people repented. It's because God is faithful and full of grace and full of mercy. Um, with, with Jesus, with, with the Lord, with his people for all time, it's always feasting before fasting. It's always, you need to understand, when he gave the law, when he gave the, the law to the people on Mount Sinai, he said, remember, I am the God who pulled you out of darkness. I'm the God who pulled you out of slavery in Egypt, and I've given you this good land, and now here's the law. So it's never, it's never um, fasting to, to be right with God. It's always that we are fasting in the context of his safe covenant love with us because it's for our good. And so, so these people are now confessing their sin after this time of great feasting. And um, because of God's perfection, because of his faithfulness, if, if they have a God who is perfect, um, then their greatest problem is never their circumstances because they have an all-powerful, all-loving God who is faithful to the end. He will always take care of them. So their, their primary problem is never their circumstances. It's always their sin. And, and that's the same is true for us. Um, our circumstances um, are never our primary problem. It's always our sin. And so you see in the second verse here, um, this is a family matter. Uh, there, were, there were foreigners in the midst, um, and, and it wasn't like, hey, you need to get out of here because you're of, of foreign descent. There were plenty of foreigners who had joined themselves to God's people. And basically, it was a, an issue of self-selection. If, if you were coming into this body and saying, I want to be a part of this body, then it's I'm putting myself under the authority of God and his word. And then there were those who weren't quite there yet. It was like, okay, um, but you guys don't need to be here for this because this is sort of family business. This is um, God's people who have said, God is our God and we are his people and we have some business that we need to tend to. And so that'd be, same is true for you if you're here because you're exploring and, and you're trying to figure out who is this Jesus and what is this all about. Um, he's, he's not calling you to this kind of confession. <laughs> this is for people who are, who are following Jesus. Um, and he said, no, 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 I, I don't have to talk to you um, I need to talk to, to my people. And so they were confessing, it said, that their sins and the sins of their fathers and their ancestors. And I think it's important to stop there and just note, whose sins were they not confessing? They were not confessing the sins of the nations around them. They were not confessing the sins of the foreigners in their midst. They were not confessing the sins of their neighbor, the person next to them. They were confessing their sins and the sins of their people. Um, and you know, we, we have some sin to confess, just like they did. Um, we have some sin to confess uh, for, from our ancestors and for ourselves. Um, and I, I think it's important to note in verse three, um, the confession of sin was in response to the word of God, not people's opinions. They were lining up their lives with the word of God and saying, where have, we, where have we failed to follow the Lord and what he says is good and a good way to live? 
And so as they're confessing these sins, I just thought, you know, it'd be appropriate for us to think about the sins that we need to confess. Um, This is not an exhaustive list, but this is um, what I was thinking about for me and for the, those who came before me. Um, I think we could confess to knowing a lot about God, but refusing to know him. Um, knowing scripture really well, but not really obeying it. Not letting it ha- be the authority of our lives. Um, excluding the Holy Spirit from our lives so that we can remain in control. And, and this whole thing of following Jesus is just kind of on my own terms. Um, segregating and separating ourselves along racial and socioeconomic lines because of fear or comfort or prejudice, even within the family of God. Um, Being unwilling to suffer with Jesus in ways that he calls us to suffer, um, opting instead to worship comfort and security. Refusal to submit ourselves to the body. Um, That if something happens and I don't like what's going on or somebody offends me or hurts my feelings, I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else. So I refuse to mature. I just go somewhere else. Um, Paying lip service to God while we worship our career and making money and making a name for ourselves. Being prayerless, not really believing in the power of prayer. Hoarding and abusing wealth, but also condemning the wealthy as, as the people who have more than me. Um... Judging people who are in pain before loving them or or never getting around to loving them at all. Coveting the lives of others and baiting people into coveting our lives through social media. I'm not ever satisfied with having enough, which I always have. Um, And I can't rest until I have more than you or until you come and bow at my my feet and, and want my life. Devaluing and dishonoring women, making distinctions between men and women that God hasn't made. Abusing authority in the church, rampant sexual sin. Not loving sexual minorities, especially brothers and sisters in the church who are trying to follow Jesus and trying to figure out how to, how to love and serve him. Ripping dignity from people who God has called to live a life of singleness and treating that as like a second class citizen. Refusing to repent, period, of any sin. Making a mockery of Jesus and the gospel by refusing to take ownership of our sin and the pain and suffering that it causes other people. And then now I feel like in our culture, there's this uh, biting and devouring each other. Uh, We're so desperate to preserve our self-righteousness in the eyes of the world on whatever the hot issue is that we hurry to get on the right side of the issue and act like we were the first ones there. And then throw stones at people who are still trying to figure it out. Who didn't buy the same book that we did as early as we did. Um, And we have to just ask when we're in that place, are we torn up because our behavior um, mars the character of God and harms other people? Or because uh, we're trying to escape cultural backlash? So you have to just ask, you know, who, who is it? Who are we learning from? with all these things, who is trafficking, who is it that traffics in fear and self-righteousness and shame and condemnation? It's not Jesus. It's the one who's diametrically opposed to Jesus. It's the enemy. And so in all these things, um, it's coming to the table with humility and grace that I don't know, okay? And this is me speaking right now. I don't know as much as I think I do. And I don't know what 
the world needs uh, in all of the ins and outs and the details of, of, of the answer to every problem. I don't know that, and, and you don't either. And so it's just submitting ourselves to following Jesus, um, to being humble and to being open and to being um, wanting to come to one another in love for others and, and for love for Jesus and not from shame and from the law and from condemnation. And so what, what we get from this passage is we are called to be the first and the chief repenters of sin. I don't care if um, I have 1% of that to own and the other person has 99% of that to own. What, what Jesus is telling his followers is you come with that 1% and you ask for forgiveness for that and you lead with that. Um, that is what it is to be a follower of Christ, is that we are the chief and the first repenters. And we have to stop. And I mean, that's true among ourselves, but it's true of those who don't know Jesus because why, why would I ever expect somebody who doesn't know Jesus and hasn't received that kind of love to come to me first and confess sin and repent? It doesn't make any sense. The world doesn't know this kind of forgiveness. And this kind of forgiveness is very, very powerful. This is the kind of forgiveness that will absolutely change somebody's life. 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's pretty scary. But if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the question for us as we, we think about what it is to be a confessing people, a repenting people, a people who are in touch with their deep need of Jesus and his salvation at all times, not just when I first came to faith, but every single day, where does the ability to live like this, where does the ability to confess sin first come from? And the answer is that it comes from our family story. It comes from covenant. And so um, we need to know that what we are reading here is not this disconnected history of another people from another time. This is our family story. Galatians 3.7 says, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So when you are in Christ, this becomes your family story. This is our line. This is our people. This, we are the people of God, and these are the people of God. And so we're looking back on our ancestors and seeing what it is uh, to follow Jesus. And there's two things that are really important about that um, that are, are very, um, very freeing for us. And the first is this, that we need to see that all of the people of God throughout all of history for all time have always needed to confess sin. What we just read, this prayer is the history of God and his people up until this point in time. So this is almost the entire Old Testament. The only thing that's lacking is Ezra and Nehemiah, which we're reading right now. But if you look, I mean, listen to what got said in that prayer. From the beginning until the end of that time period, which was generation upon generation upon generation, God is always faithful and his people are always what? Unfaithful, right? 
always faithless, always. Like the Lord is so kind and so good. He does exactly what he's gonna say. He frees them, he saves them, he gives them new life, he gives them abundance. And at every turn, they rebel against him, they turn away from him, they do whatever they feel like, they don't have any, any love for him. But because of his great love and great mercy, um, he is always, always, always forgiving and restoring. And if you actually study this passage and look at this prayer, um, you see that this is, the author is intentionally showing like this downward cycle of sin. Because when you start to see the verses um, where uh, people sin against God and need deliverance, it actually speeds up. So you hear like all this prayer and then verse 16 to 21 is talking about the people's unfaithfulness. And then again in verse 26. And then just two verses later in 28. And then in 29 and then in 30 and 31. It's like it is just this downward spiral. The people of God are always, always, always unfaithful. And so uh, for lack of better terminology, you know, to look at uh, two camps in our modern day um, who is dangerous to jump on, on those ships one is the uh, Culture Wars Club. Um, and if you listen to folks in the Culture Wars Club, how we need to you know, take back this and fight against this, um, something that you're never gonna hear is confession of their own sin. It's never, uh, you know what? We need to repent of this because we've done a lot of damage with this. It's always them out there. And also the Woke Club of it's always pointing fingers at somebody else in total self-righteousness, is that if everybody was like me, I don't have any problems because I'm so woke to all the issues. It's never pointing back at me. And so in any of these places, that is not how the people of God behave. It is always, 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 I go first in repenting. It's never pretending that I don't have sin. Remember, Remember what John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth of God is not in us. And the second reason that this is really freeing for us, that we are a covenant people, is to, to know what it is to be a covenant people. So we read in this passage, we read in um, Genesis 17, that God came to Abraham, made a covenant with him. And in Genesis 17, when he makes this covenant, what, what it does, this is a, a practice of the ancient Near East. I love saying that because it makes me sound really smart. Um, I'm an expert on the ancient Near East. Um, I'm not. But what they would do is they would take an animal and cut it in half. And they would lay the pieces out. And the two people making a covenant together, this was a binding, solemn covenant they would walk between the pieces. And what they were saying as they walked together between the pieces is, may the Lord do to me if I break this covenant with you what has been done to these animals. So it's a very, very solemn covenant. Andrew Pekin knows what I'm talking about, seminary club. So, and if, if you read that passage, if you remember what actually happened, uh, this is the covenant that God's making with Abraham and all of his descendants after him. And he says, the covenant is that I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And what happens is um, he causes Abraham to fall in a deep sleep so that he can't walk through the pieces. And when Abraham wakes up, he sees 
God walking by himself through the pieces. And he did that because he knew that Abraham could not keep the covenant. And he was saving him and saying, no, 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 this is all on me. I'm the only one who's gonna walk through these pieces. And if there's any unfaithfulness in this covenant, may it be to me, not you, like it has been done to these, these animal pieces here. And so, that's what it has been done. That's what's been done in Christ. As God has known from the beginning and had a way from the very beginning to make atonement for the sins of his people. How can he be a holy God and still put up with a, a sinful people like us? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is God becoming like these animal pieces. You know, these people, um, what we see in verse 32, after the recounting of all these sin, is um, the people saying, hey, we're still hurting. Like we are sinful and we're still hurting. Please don't look lightly on our circumstances. Um, and let that be a great encouragement to you and I. Um, when we come and pray to the Lord and ask him for help, it is not on the basis of our sinlessness. It is not on the basis of our faithfulness. And so even when we are sinning, even when we are at fault, we can still come to him with everything that we need and ask those requests and ask in confidence because um, he will not decide not to give us what we need because we're unfaithful. And so hear this prayer and take confidence that um, you are free. You are free to come to the Lord. There is no, um, you know, something that I spent a lot of years doing was putting myself in spiritual timeout. Like if I was a, a bad boy, I knew that God wouldn't want to talk to me for a while and so I'd stay away from him for a couple days until it was time for me to come out of timeout. I don't know if any of y'all have done that before. Um, but that's not the gospel. <laughs> that's not from scripture. Um, and it's a terrible way to live. But it's, it's that there is no spiritual timeout. It's that at all times God loves us because his love for us is not based on our faithfulness. It's not based on our track record. And so when we start living out of that, when we start living from this place of I am loved, I am free, um, then guess what? We start giving other people what we give ourselves. And that's when things change. That's when things get really fun. That's when things get really interesting is when we start living out of this grace and giving that grace and giving that mercy and giving that forgiveness to other people. Because remember, listen to this First John verse again. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Faithful and just because remember, all of our sin was cast on Jesus. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He doesn't leave us as we were. He changes us. He's making us new. So we are free to need Jesus at all times and to not be surprised by our sin ever. You, whether you know this or not, I'm just gonna tell you, you and I are capable of doing any and every wicked thing you could imagine given the right circumstances. So you and I never have to be surprised by our sin and if you are in a place where you are continually surprised by your sin, that is a very dangerous place to be. That is when you're gonna do all sorts of crazy stuff that you, you uh, never thought you were able to do. 
But the people, just like these people here, they say, we know you love us and we know that we are in your grace and in your mercy, but man, we are still living like slaves. There are places in our lives where we are still living like slaves. We're still living like slaves in our sin and we're still living like slaves in our self-righteousness. And what Jesus says, um, or what is said about Jesus, is um, we can follow him into letting go of our self-righteousness. Um, because the, one, the only one who was ever righteous has let go of his righteousness for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It is actually through confession and repentance that we are made more righteous. Um, our righteousness comes from Jesus and we learn to live into that righteousness as we confess our sin and get in touch with how deeply we need our savior and how greatly our savior loves us. And that is how we are transformed. And so we see here the last verse of this passage, um, these people make a covenant and they say, hey, we're really serious about this. Um, we, we don't wanna go the way of our forefathers. And so that's why we're gonna make a really solemn covenant right now and we're gonna sign it. We're gonna type it up real nice. We're gonna put it on some paper. We're gonna put a little stamp on it. Um, and I guess there's a place for that. But it's really important for us to know that the power of where our power comes from is not in our ability to make new vows and be really serious about them this time. Just like, I mean, it, it's good to take this seriously and say, Lord, I, I really do wanna follow you. I really do wanna run from sin. That's good. But what's real bad and real dangerous is if you think that's where your power comes from. Your power comes from the covenant, the new covenant, the covenant that Jesus made. Um, and that's, that's what we see in, the, um, in, the, in communion, in the Lord's Supper. In Luke 22, it says that, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Think about it. He broke it in half and gave it to um, his people and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, he took the cup and said, this cup has been poured out for you. It's my new covenant in my blood. Essentially, he's saying, hey, look, I'm the animal that was cut into pieces. I'm the animal whose blood had been shed, so you are free now. All of this, this covenant keeping of me being your God and you being my people is not depend on your faithfulness. If it did, you'd be in big trouble. It depends on my faithfulness and you can always, always count on my faithfulness because I'm perfectly faithful. And so um, as, we, as we close here, um, we're going to spend a little time in a guided prayer um, that, that is modeling uh, the prayer that we saw in this passage. So I ask you all to pray with me and I'm going to lead us um, through some prompts. Our Father, faithful, faithful God, all-powerful creator and sustainer, you have created me and you sustain me. You give me life at all times. You came and found me and called me to yourself. You gave yourself to me before I even knew a thing about you. 
or turn to you in any way. You delivered me from the kingdom of darkness, from the captivity of sin. You have given me your word, your community, and your Holy Spirit to show me how to live and flourish. You have provided for me everything I need as I journey through the wilderness. You have been faithful. I have been faithless. I have worshiped idols of all kinds, and you have had mercy. You have not loved me any less because of my sin. In fact, you have given me good and abundant gifts that I do not deserve out of your abundant love for me. You discipline me for my good, allowing pain to lead me into greater freedom from my flesh, into deeper maturity, and into deeper intimacy with you. I stand before you now a sinner and a beloved child. I have been faithless and you have been faithful. Thank you, thank you, thank you for loving me, for loving us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.